You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. What does Sputnik have to do with student loans? How did a set of trembling hands end the Soviet Union? How did inflation kill moon bases? And how did a former president decide to run for a second non-consecutive term? These are among the topics we deal with on the My History Can Beat Up Your Politics podcast. We tell stories of history that relate to today's news events. Give a listen. My History Can Beat Up Your Politics wherever you get podcasts. everyone. Welcome to episode number 413 of our Civil War podcast. My name is Rich. And I'm Tracy. Hello, y'all. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. It was full dark on the evening of September 20th by the time the day's combat ended in both the Horseshoe Ridge and Kelly Field sectors of the battlefield. The final stages of the battle had been confusing for both sides, Because of the dark, a number of Confederate officers worried about the dangers of friendly fire. Since Polk's wing attacked from multiple directions into Kelly Field, that set up potential collisions between formations of rebel troops as their lines of advance converged. Many feared that Longstreet's wing was likely to blunder into similar situations. As a result, nearly all Confederate officers halted their unit's forward movement and most rebel soldiers, once the shooting stopped, simply slumped to the ground where they stood, exhausted. A staff officer at Bragg's headquarters wrote, quote, About dark, the enemy was routed. We expect him to rally, though, and the fight to be continued a few miles on tomorrow. Hope he will. Some, though, hope it is over, as our loss is heavy. The Confederates made some effort to reorganize during the night, but the task proved exceedingly difficult. For example, Bushrod Johnson spent three hours looking for either Bragg's or Longstreet's headquarters that evening, all to no avail. Johnson would say, I searched until about 11 o'clock for the headquarters of the army, or the wing, with a view to making a report of my position. Failing in this attempt, I returned to my command, worn out with the toils of the day. The Confederates universally expected that the battle would be renewed in the morning. Most of them believed that the Federals had only fallen back a short distance and that fighting would break out once again at first light. On Longstreet's front, he had his men up well before dawn. Lieutenant Clarence Malone of the 10th Tennessee was among them. He wrote, quote, All thought the day would be another of strife, but great was our surprise to awake and find the Yankees gone. All along the Confederate line, skirmishers were pushed forward, and beyond them, rebel cavalry rode out to locate the new enemy lines. Much of the morning was consumed in these endeavors. According to Leonidas Polk, 
It wasn't until 9 a.m. before the Confederates fully understood the Yankees had fallen back. Polk, as he waited for news, wrote a letter to his wife. In conclusion, he noted, quote, We have just heard that Rosecrans has retreated to Chattanooga. Monday, September 21st, 1863. Up and stirring early. Our brigade moved forward 600 yards to the right and front and took a position in an old field. General Polk ordered out heavy skirmishers who soon brought the news that there was nothing in our front for over three miles. We laid in position nearly all day. I went over on the left where the hard fighting was yesterday and looked over the field. Hundreds of dead strewed the ground, and the cannon shot and many balls riddled the timber. The fighting here was long and desperate. Positions and batteries were taken and retaken several times, but the will of the Southerners, fighting for all that mankind holds dear, could not be withstood by the hirelings of a tyrant, however well-trained, and yesterday's work has taught them a lesson they will not soon forget. They had been told the rebels were nothing but a rabble, utterly demoralized and disheartened, and would run at the first fire. But they have found out the contrary, to their own dear cost. The victory is glorious, but dearly bought. And why the enemy have been allowed to get away so easily, I am at a loss to know. That they are not in front is positive, and that they should be allowed to quietly withdraw at night is a shame to our arms. Private John McGee, Stanford's Mississippi Battery, Cheatham's Division, Army of Tennessee. Although the Confederates only discovered it the next morning, the last Yankee survivors had indeed slipped away from the battlefield after darkness had fallen, making their way to Rossville. As Longstreet later admitted, quote, Like magic, the Union Army had melted away in our presence. For the Federal soldiers, the march to Rossville through the darkness was grim. Brigade Commander John Beatty recalled, quote, all along the road, for miles, wounded men were lying. They had crawled or hobbled slowly away from the fury of battle, become exhausted, and lay down by the roadside to die. Some were calling the names and numbers of their regiments, but many had become too weak to do this, and by midnight the column had passed by. What must have been their agony, mental and physical, as they lay in the dreary woods, sensible that there was no one to comfort or care for them, and that in a few hours more their career on earth would be ended. Never before had the Army of the Cumberland been forced from a battlefield, nor compelled to abandon its dead and wounded. The Army's official losses at Chickamauga would number 1,657 killed, 9,756 wounded, and 4,757 missing, for a grand total of 16,170 officers and men. The night was cold and clear. 
the moon was bright and the stars plentiful. One man recalled, quote, The roads in the direction of Rossville seemed to be full of Union soldiers, utterly confused and bewildered, wandering about in search of their commands. Some of them were so confused that they could not tell front from rear. At Rossville, George Thomas collected the exhausted and disorganized federal forces and formed new lines in expectation of further fighting on Monday, the 21st. That night, James Garfield, William Rosecrans' chief of staff, sent messages back to Chattanooga about the state of the Army and more than once urged Rosecrans to come to Rossville. But instead, Old Rosie delegated to George Thomas the task of defending the gap at Rossville to prevent a Confederate advance on Chattanooga. For the battered Army of the Cumberland, September 21st was a day of recovery. Rosecrans sent ammunition and rations, but the Federal Army commander remained at Chattanooga, while at the front, George Thomas brought order from chaos and draped the depleted Union formations along the crest of Missionary Ridge at the Rossville Gap and across Chattanooga Valley toward Lookout Mountain. George Thomas worked tirelessly to get the battered Federal Army ready to continue the fight, but he need not have worried because conducting a vigorous pursuit of the beaten Yankees was the furthest thing from Braxton Bragg's mind. What's something you learned in history class that you feel wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. I believe that all history, no matter how good or bad, needs to be told. There are wars, massacres, battles, and entire historical events that are just not in our school's history books. Have you ever heard of Mary Bowser? I didn't think so. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. So come huddle around the campfire with me and get ready to hear the stories that you were robbed of. And get comfortable. We're going to be here a while. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Did archaeologists discover Noah's Ark? Is the rapture coming as soon as the Euphrates River dries up? Does the Bible condemn abortion? Don't you wish you had a trustworthy academic resource to help make sense of all of this? Well, I'm Dan Beecher, and he's award-winning Bible scholar and TikTok sensation Dr. Dan McClellan, and we want to invite you to the Data Over Dogma podcast. Where our mission is to increase public access to the academic study of the Bible and religion and also to combat the spread of misinformation about the same. But, you know, in a fun way. Every week we tackle fascinating topics. We go back to source materials in their original languages. And we interview top scholars in the field. So whether you're a devout believer or you're just interested in a clear-eyed, deeply informed look at one of the most influential books of all time, we think you're going to love the Data Over Dogma podcast. Wherever you subscribe to awesome shows. 
When the Confederate generals met on the 21st to discuss the results of the battle and the cost of the victory, there was no clear consensus as to the Army's next move. James Longstreet later claimed that he proposed a bold strike across the Tennessee River above Chattanooga to operate against Rosecrans' lines of communication and supply, or, failing that, a quick advance against Burnside's Federals holding Knoxville. However, like most of Longstreet's strategic ideas during the war, this one also had more basis in fantasy than any grounding in reality. As appealing as Longstreet's fantasies might be in his own mind, they were utterly impractical. First, Bragg didn't have enough pontoons on hand to bridge the Tennessee, nor enough troops to protect a bridgehead and his own supply lines while he drove into the mountains beyond the river. Second, the recent reinforcements from Virginia, East Tennessee, and Mississippi that had nearly doubled the size of Bragg's army had mostly arrived without horses or wagons. This lack of draft animals and supply wagons severely crippled Bragg's ability to move freely and tied him closely to the railroad. A third reason was the heavy blow the Army of Tennessee had suffered at Chickamauga. By Bragg's own accounting, his army had lost just over 2,000 killed, almost 13,000 wounded, and a little more than 2,000 missing, for a grand total of just over 17,000 casualties, although 18,500 is probably a more realistic figure, and the men who had survived the bloodletting were exhausted. Braxton Bragg would be almost universally condemned, both by his contemporaries and posterity, for failing to immediately and vigorously follow up his success at Chickamauga by dealing the Federals a killing blow at Rossville or storming his way to Chattanooga. But, realistically, he didn't have the option of flanking Rosecrans or marching up to Knoxville or even mounting a vigorous pursuit of the retreating Federals. Realistically, Bragg's last chance for a decisive victory over the Army of the Cumberland for the immediate future had faded away with the last light of evening on September 20th. All he could do now was slowly and cautiously follow after the retreating Yankees and try to get his own army into shape for further operations. As for the Federals, for a time on the 21st, William Rosecrans seemed to be regaining his nerve, but that afternoon his spirits sagged. As the Confederates at last moved forward, the pace of the skirmishing at Rossville picked up, and reports from Union cavalry and Signal Corps observers on high ground spoke of mysterious dust clouds and unknown columns of troops at nearly every point of the compass, and even reports by prisoners that another entire rebel corps from Virginia had arrived. Army commanders always received conflicting, confusing, alarming, and sometimes absurd intelligence reports mixed in with the true stuff and had to sort it all out into a realistic picture of what the enemy was up to. Rosecrans was usually fairly good at that, but on this day, after more than a week of inadequate rest and intense stress, he was ready to jump at shadows. 
Rosecrans' shaky state of mind led him to credit the worst of the reports he was receiving and conjure up a waking nightmare of Thomas being overrun at Rossville and the army destroyed. And so, at 5 p.m., William Rosecrans sent orders to George Thomas, telling him to hold his position until nightfall, if possible, and then withdraw once again, this time all the way back to Chattanooga. September 24th, 1863, at Chattanooga. Dear wife, it is with great pleasure that I once more lift my pen to let you know that I am still alive and in tolerable good health. Although nearly worn out, I have lost so much sleep lately and been run so hard. Well, dear wife, we have had an awful fight and lost a great deal of our men. We was in the fight last Saturday and last Sunday. Our regiment was badly cut up. It was the hardest fight that ever was. We have now fell back on Chattanooga and are busy fortifying. We are a-going to hold this place or die on the ground. They have a larger force than we have, but we will whip them or die a-trying. Private Benjamin Mabry, 82nd Indiana Infantry, Connell's Brigade, Army of the Cumberland. That means it's time for this episode's book recommendation, and our recommendation this time is The Chickamauga Campaign, Barren Victory, The Retreat into Chattanooga, The Confederate Pursuit, and The Aftermath of the Battle, September 21st to October 20th, 1863, by David A. Powell. This is the third of Powell's three-volume series covering the entire Chickamauga Campaign. All three volumes are excellent and deserve a place on your Civil War bookshelf. Don't forget you can find all of our book recommendations if you head over to the podcast website, which is www.civilwarpodcast.org. As we bring down the curtain on this episode, we want to give a shout out to the newest members of the Strawfoot Brigade and thank them for their support of the podcast. So thanks to Alan S., Joe G., Richard W., and Eric P. Just a reminder that the music you hear at the beginning and at the end of every episode of the podcast is from the song Midnight on the Water. And we use it with the kind permission of Spiritwood Music. Thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of The Civil War, 1861 to 1865, a history podcast. Rich and I do hope that you'll join us again next time, but until then, take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye.